We're nearing the end of this series. The initial reason that I started down this road was so that I could investigate what is right for our students at this moment in history, in the midst of the digital revolution. When I was at school, you were at the bleeding edge of technology when you had the game Snake on your Nokia 3210. Now, our kids have robots writing essays, biometric scanners to unlock their personal electronics, and supercomputers in their pockets. What are we supposed to do? In this episode, I'm going to talk about some other factors that we haven't mentioned yet that have some base in available research. I'm going to try to talk to both sides of this debate, whether you're locked into the blanket ban camp or committed to libertarian ideals of restriction-free trust and responsibility. And perhaps most importantly, I'm going to try and explain the final recommendations for UWCSEA. I've done a huge amount of this work with the fantastic Angela Newby, my counterpart and collaborator from our East Campus, and we'll be talking this out together. I'm Tim Lovett, the Head of Digital Learning at UWCSEA Dover Campus, and this year it's my job to figure out what to recommend to principals about our mobile device policy on campus. I've been documenting my journey into the global research and opinions from around our college and beyond to try and figure this out. Thanks for joining me. There is a multi-million dollar wellness industry based around digital detoxes for adults. You can pay, for example, just under $5,000 for a one-week silent digital detox wellness retreat in India, where you aren't allowed access to any digital devices and you're not allowed to talk. And still... One of the first FAQs that Google thinks I want to know the answer to is, can you watch TV on a silent digital detox? In 2022, a viral video showed a man in a mall in Istanbul so absorbed in his phone that he fell down a huge storage hole in the floor, fortunately landing on some boxes which cushioned his fall. But there are darker and more tragic stories like this all over the place. My interpretation of this... Whatever us adult generations experienced at school has most definitely not prepared our society for this technology. My generation didn't have smartphones at school because they didn't exist, and we are being distracted and influenced by them all the same. We haven't been trained for the kind of psychological challenges brought by smartphones today, and we are stumbling through it ourselves, often literally trying to find our way, shelling out for digital detoxes and falling down holes, both literal and metaphorical. We need to do better for our kids. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking, you know, is, is, will there be that, you know, that moment in Big Tobacco where they say, you know, there are the seven dwarves up, up on the stage, you know, all saying the same thing. Like, will there be a moment in the future with, with phones that, that also, you know, when we look back at what happened with tobacco and we realize that that was actually bad for us. And, you know, when we realize with, with the, the oil industry that, you know, that actually was polluting with, with significant effects. Like, will, we, will there be a moment of reckoning where we look back and we say, well, we knew it, but we weren't necessarily doing anything about it. We're giving them a chance to, mm. to police them themselves because you know, the genie's already out of the bottle. And we, you know. So I, I just, I don't know, like, will, will that come in the future? 
That was Kurt Wittig, our head of libraries on Dover Campus, and he is talking about an argument that gets mentioned a lot. There have been loads of examples of things like this in history, which society thought were great until scientists realised they were harmful, at which point powerful industry giants spent lots of money protecting their interests until the public organised against them to get governments to intervene. Tobacco, leaded petrol and lead paint, drugs like thalidomide. Are smartphones in this category? There are also lots of things we know can be damaging in the wrong hands, but we have education and scaffolds in place to mitigate the potentially harmful effects. Here's Angela Newby, our Head of Digital Learning on East Campus. You'll hear more from her later. I suppose you could say um, it's a bit like driving a car, right? We know that driving a car can be a dangerous thing, um, certainly if not done safely and responsibly. You certainly wouldn't just put a teenager in front of the wheel of a car with no training whatsoever. But at the same time, we acknowledge that cars and travel and the road system, they're an important part of life, right? That you're not going to shield your child away from being able to access um, travel. You put them through a series of lessons, right? Obviously, you you get an instructor. They spend months, sometimes years, training and learning how to ride safely. Things like this include violent movies, alcohol, taking out loans, driving cars, driving trucks... There are countless examples. Even the Harry Potter books were banned completely in large swathes of the US and other countries because of its glorifications of witchcraft and the occult. Students at a Catholic school in Nashville, they can no longer check out Harry Potter books from the library. A pastor at the school sent an email saying that the curses and the spells in the books are actual curses and spells which can conjure evil spirits. So which is it? Tobacco, driving or Harry Potter? Well, wouldn't that be nice if there was a clear-cut answer? I'm sorry, but that's not what I have for you. We've talked about some positive and a lot of negative well-being aspects. We've talked about the predominantly negative effect on attention and distractions. We've also talked about the huge positive impact active education and scaffolded practice could have for students. And we've talked about the need to support and develop their skills and understandings in these areas so our students can enter the world and make positive change. What else should we consider? One thing is social engagement. The research is mixed here, and personal feelings are strong. Some research suggests that large proportions of people feel that phones make conversations shallower and limit personal connection. 89% of Americans say that in their last conversation, they took out a phone. And 82% say that it diminished the conversation. My premise is we're doing something that we don't feel good about and that we know is diminishing our contact with each other. That was Sherry Turkle, social science professor at MIT, who is a staunch advocate for in-person communication. She is clear, though. She is not anti-technology, just pro-conversation. From the tech side, Gabriella Harari from Stanford University says that phones can actually make us more social because of the ubiquity of technology allowing us to be more social in more places at more times. One of her studies found that people who text more also have more in-person conversations. If you can't remember from previous episodes, a huge number of the students that I interviewed said something like this. First of all, it's easy to find where your friends are, and I think... It's just an extra level of communication. Socializing is just much easier on like your phone, using your phone. That way you're able to stay like more connected with uh, 
fr uh, your friends, family, teachers. I think it's just a better way to be connected overall. Because everyone's in a different class. It's really hard to find them otherwise. Some communication on phones might be negative. Cyberbullying is a real problem, for example, but many researchers in this area conclude that technology just provides a medium for people to express their personality, rather than it defining the conversation itself. In short, bullying in general is a problem. Would it stop if we banned phones? Before Angela and I make some recommendations, let's look at the reality of what bans do. Unfortunately, COVID is our enemy here. The largest scale bans that have been mandated on national levels have a significant lack of research around them. France and Australia, for example, both rolled out large scale bans up to the equivalent of the end of middle school, but they did so right before the COVID pandemic, and so researchers weren't able to fully engage with the process, nothing was normal anyway, and the results would have been close to meaningless. However, there are two large-scale studies that have relevance here that I've managed to find. Firstly, the region of Galicia in Spain banned smartphones up to age 17. Studies showed a significant increase in academic performance and a reduction in incidences of bullying, although these effects were more pronounced with younger students. On the other hand, the whole of Sweden banned smartphones, and the researchers looking at the statistics showed zero measurable effect on attention or academic attainment. Other research shows us what we might assume anyway, and our students hinted at earlier in the series, that students who want to will always find ways around a ban. The people who use them all the time would still find a way to use them. Like in middle school, there were still people who used them during break and lunchtime. I think that's just inevitable. All this means is that blanket bans are not the simple solution we would like them to be. They're contextual, they're nuanced, they're dependent on lots of other supporting frameworks and on the individuals that they are supposed to protect or mandate things for. That's another unsatisfyingly, frustratingly vague conclusion. So what should we do? For our younger students, what do you think? What, what do you think is the is the right move for for them with regards to devices? I think for our younger students, I think we already have. We're a school that has a wealth of technology and devices available for our students to use in school, and I think so many things that our young people need to learn. They they can start that using the devices that we already have in place for them. So certainly we, are, you know, we're a one-to-one -one school. We've got one-to-one -one laptops across our primary school and in our infant school. We have a wealth of iPads available for the students to use. So a lot of the kind, the things that we need our students to learn, like how to collaborate responsibly, they can do these things with their those devices. They can start to learn about managing distractions by looking at how many tabs they have open um, on their device during the school day, by looking at when they've been distracted by um, an extension that, that a friend might have recommended to them. We can do a lot of those conversations. We can do a lot of that education piece that we know is so important through the devices that we have. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think there's any strong argument for our students. I think there's lots of strong arguments against our students having mobile phones, our younger students having mobile phones. Uh, and I don't think there's there's very many, if any, strong arguments 
for our students having phones other than who are we to take their personal belongings off them, right? Which which I get, but we're the the people. My response to that, I guess, would be: well, we're the people responsible for safeguarding their well-being. For stepping into high school, where they're going to need to start to take a little bit more responsibility for their um, their phone use and their the digital distractions, their self management, um, those kind of those kind of things. I, yeah, I think I I definitely agree agree with you on that but of course not everybody does agree with us right Uh, and that's where the that's where this whole um process has been very very interesting for me um listening to various opinions across the campus some very very strong opinions um also going into this process with my own opinions and having my opinion shifted throughout this this journey as well if i'm honest with you i think i went into this process kind of feeling like middle school students should have more ownership of their self-management of their personal device. But the research is so strong now. The the research, the the link to the certainly the link to mental health, um, the link to their distractions and lack of focus and how long it takes to get that focus back when you've been distracted, that certainly shifted my thinking to now shifting that up into the high school more and there it's more in the high school when we start to hand over that the reins to the students themselves but of course with a lot of guidance and support from us yeah, yeah i agree and i think that guidance and support is the important bit right i think that the, there's some there's some studies around that that show that even even up to sort of age 16 17 um having unstructured phones in school still contributes to to a decrease in academic attainment for example but that's like unstructured is the key word there and and i think that the one of our responsibilities as educators is to say look we know that you're going to have these things in your life like let's just t- just take university for example let's forget about the workplace for now let's just take university as an example if you haven't been actively trying and being supported in a nice safe space where you can make mistakes and you have a mentor to reflect with every now and then and you can see you know you can see your peers trying to learn on the same journey at the same time within that learning environment if you haven't seen any of that and then you get handed you know the the ticket to use your phone whenever you want at university I think that we're not preparing our students for that if we just let them either either it's it's a free for all and they just figure it out by themselves. I don't think that that's fair. And also I don't think that it's fair to just completely remove that aspect of that that aspect of life and that necessary skill from their from their world and entirely. So I think really structured, yes, but not completely removed. That's what that, that's the the direction that I'm leaning in. Yeah, I think so. Definitely based on the research. And it's been really interesting, actually, based on our research and having shared that with small groups of people already. um, The feedback from that has been really, really strong, really good, really positive. And actually, I think a lot of our high school teachers hopefully will really appreciate the the structure that we want to bring to this and maybe a little bit more clarity to to what's already been in place here. And I, I think that that is something and I hope the students I also really hope the students will really appreciate that as well I think going from one classroom to another classroom with different expectations from different teachers can be confusing Um, and I think if as a school we start out the year with 
with really clear guidelines on this is what we believe, this is why we believe this, but also getting students on board with with the research and sharing a lot of this, the evidence and the data with them um, to get them on board and get them involved with this journey, really. And, and maybe as time goes on, they'll they'll help us to shape it even further with some of their feedback. And we'll see what works, what works from their perspective, what doesn't work. But I am certainly in agreement with you that that we we have to start we have to let them go, right? Like we have to let them be independent, but we can't just expect them to know how to do that. Not at all. And and I think training, you know, working with our teachers to to um, increase their understanding of the research, that, that will really help with this. And then providing ideas for discussions, lessons, activities. And, and already there's a, a good group of, of people here on East Campus really excited to, to build some of those ideas. Yeah, so we, you kind of touched on a couple of different things there. Uh, we talked kind of about what what the restrictions in inverted commas might might look like. Uh, you talked about um, the, the sort of educational bit as well. So like us giving them scaffolds and giving them techniques that they that they could use and figure out what's what's what works for them um, and a consistency across classrooms. Like we need to be clear about what our what our expectations are during lesson time, definitely. I agree with that completely. Um, and then a, a kind of staff education piece as well, so we're all on the on the same page about those expectations. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about scaffolds as well in our previous conversations. Like we talked about having like opportunities for things like phone hotels and uh, no phone zones and different stuff for the students to do instead of being on their phones, you know, like entertainment spaces and stuff like that. Like what, what do you, is, is there anything else that you, that you might add to that? Or do you think like, you know, what do you, what do you think about those, those, those sorts of scaffolds? Am I missing anything? No, I think, I think you've covered the things that I was thinking there. Um, the the shared entertainment spaces I think could be something again I think working in partnership with our students to develop those would be great I think us as teachers we might think this would be a great thing to have um, for the students for example like a table football I think that would be something that actually some of some students on Dover I think did mention and um, I know that we're keen to to adopt those ideas and I think if we if we start to build what we think the students might like, but then get them on board and get get students to help to grow that space and grow those opportunities. I think very, I think a lot of students would say, if you provided me something better to do, I wouldn't choose to be using my phone anyway. I've, and I, I think us as adults would often say that as well. You know, if if I have if I've got something really interesting to get involved with, I'm I'm not going to be sitting looking on my phone. I'm going to be getting involved with that. And, and I think hopefully our students would would also feel the same. And I think and I'm not sure if you already touched on this, Tim. I'm sorry, but that idea of having days throughout the year, like specific focus days, where we maybe get to go make the phone monochrome for the day or have a phone free day um just little things where as a whole school community we try and get on board and getting staff to be involved with these things as well um i think one other thing um is staff being role models within this so if we're saying to students about having that balance and you know not not wanting to walk around the school where while you're on your phone 
you know, we we could ask the same of staff as well, that we, when we're in spaces, when we're in learning spaces, I'm not saying that our staff do. I'm not saying our staff are sitting on their phones during lessons, but, you know, I, I've, I've been guilty myself of when I'm really busy, you know, you're walking from one place to another in the school and you quickly check in on your phone to see where you need to be or you're, and I think, although I know I'm, I need to, to check that, I've got to also think of who's around me when I'm doing that and what, what example am I setting to students if I'm walking upstairs while my face is in the phone? So I think that's something else that'll come as part of that staff piece as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think the other thing that that is helpful and that's certainly been helpful for me during this process is the the sort of ability to reflect and the space to reflect. So I, I did a lot of when I first started doing this, um, I spoke to Aidan Carr, our head of psychology, and he uh he looks into a lot of the stats, a lot of the screen time stats and a lot of the pickup stats with his students. And, and we heard from him earlier in the podcast. And and that made me really think about my stats. And just having that that sort of prompted opportunity to reflect every now and then. And, we, you know, you get your screen time notifications. Your screen time is up 864% this week, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know actually sitting down and being like okay well what did I use my phone for why is it like you know why what what am I doing and what is this what I want to be doing is this a useful thing or am I just doing this because I'm just doing this because it's just what I do and you know I, it really helped me just having that that structured reflection and I think that that's something that we could build into like you know a relationship with a trusted adult somewhere along there you know that's part of that soft launch into being a being a full-time phone user right and and like we you and I when we were at school we didn't have smartphones because they didn't exist and our generation has quite clearly not been prepared very well for this for this technology and so I think that if we provide all of these opportunities for reflection all these scaffolds that you're saying I think that we stand a better chance we put them in a better position than if we just sort of isolated them from the reality of smartphones until they were 18 and then sort of sent them on their merry way. I learned a new term this week, um, digital flourishing. And I really like this term of this idea of, yeah, learning how to flourish in the digital world, like actually learning how to strike that balance. And yeah, that's really struck with me. And, And a lot of this research that we have done just like you've said there, has so made me reflect on some of my habits, um, some of the ways that I've been working in the past. And now even if I know that I've got to really focus on a task within within the school day or even at home, I, I make sure that I can't see my phone. I can't physically see it or feel it vibrate because I know that the minute it does, I cannot think about anything else until I've checked it. Um, in my family life at home, just making small changes to where my phone is, depending on what's happening at home, depending on what I'm doing. And the, if I need to actually be involved in a, if, if I'm doing something with the family, I don't want the phone there being an added distraction or something that's going to pull me away from the time that I should be spending with, with the people I care about the most. So I, I do, and I think a lot of that, we all know that being on your phone all the time is not good for you. We already knew that before any of this research. But now, I more than ever, I'm making those small changes.
Angela is spot on. We're fully grown adults, but it has taken us up until now to learn these skills and have both the understanding and the exposure to strategies to do this work for ourselves. I wish I'd been taught, shown and given the opportunity to learn and practice this stuff when I was younger, and I want to do that for our students. I have two young daughters, you heard from one of them earlier in this series. Smartphones may well look very different by the time they are teenagers, but this work that has been done this year, the wonderful enthusiasm that leadership have shown towards our research and implementing our recommendations, and our amazing supportive community of students, parents, staff and alumni, make me confident that my kids will graduate UWCSEA equipped with the means to succeed and make technology work for them, not the other way around. This is only the beginning of a huge amount of work that will go into helping our students digitally flourish. But I feel really confident we're on the right path. I'm excited to have taken this first step, and I'm really grateful that you could join me. Together, we can make education a force to unite people, nations, and cultures for peace and a sustainable future. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks to Angela Newby for doing all this work with me, acting as a voice of wisdom and keeping the link between research and our students strong. Thanks to Angie Erickson, Kurt Wittig and all the students who lent their voices to this episode. Thanks to the UWCSEA Learning Leadership Team for their support for this important work. And thanks to you for listening and supporting our outcomes. Music credits for this episode to DivKid. Divkid.